Job chapter number 14. We'll read the chapter. I want to review as to where we are in this particular section of the book of Job. Then I want to give somewhat of a broad sweep with three of the natural divisions to the 14th chapter. I'll give you those divisions. A broad sweep out of each of these three divisions and emphasis of each. Job 14. Still a few pages turning. Beginning in verse number 1, one of the more familiar verses of the book of Job, the Bible says, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such an one and bringest me into judgment with thee? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean, not one? Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Turn from him that he may rest till he shall accomplish as in hireling his day. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, Yet through the sin of water it will bud and bring forth bows like a plant. But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? As the waters fail from the sea, and the flood decayeth and drieth up, so man lieth down and riseth not. To the heavens be no more. They shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave that thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be past, that thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Thou shalt call, and I will answer thee. Thou wilt have a desire to the work of thine hands, for now thou numberest my steps. Dost thou not watch over my sin? My transgression is sealed up in a bag. Thou sowest up mine iniquity. And surely the mountain falling cometh to naught, and the rock is removed out of his place. The waters wear the stones. Thou washest away the things which grow out of the dust of the earth, and thou destroyest the hope of man. Thou prevailest forever against him, and he passeth. Thou changest his countenance, and sendest him away. His sons come to honor, and he knoweth it not. And they are brought low, but he perceiveth it not of them. But his flesh upon him shall have pain, and his soul within him shall mourn. And of course, this is Job's answer to Zophar's first speech, part three. You remember part one was found in chapter 12. And then chapter 13, he turns his comments Godward. And now chapter 14, Job is still talking to God. He's talking to him about death. Life hereafter, is there such a thing? The body, will it live again? He doesn't seem to think so. But you've got to understand where Job is in time. We believe Job to possibly be a contemporary with Abraham. In all the 42 chapters of the book of Job, the commandments are never mentioned. The tabernacle is never mentioned. Mount Sinai is not mentioned. 
One of the one of the big themes in the Old Testament is the exodus of God's people from Egyptian bondage and the wilderness wanderings. Even a number of the Psalms contain those accounts. You don't find anything like that in the book of Job. We believe it to be the oldest book of the Bible. Um, so bear that in mind as you read through uh, the book of Job. You'll remember Eliphaz had a speech. Job responded. Bildad gave his speech. Job responded. Now, Zophar, the most critical and harsh, um, the most crude of the three of his friends, he offers speech, even blames Job, as did Bildad, for the death of his children. Now, you think that's not harsh and unreasonable and unfounded scripturally? Certainly it is, and Job's had to endure this. And what Satan could not accomplish in getting Job to curse God With the events of chapter 1 and the events of chapter 2, now he's going at him through his friends. And we can say what we want to about them. The Bible still calls them Job's friends. Your friends won't get everything right toward you. and You won't get everything right toward your friends. We are still housed in this Adamic nature. And uh, I've said this before, but... uh, Uh, being married to Adam, and we all still are, we all have blind spots no matter where your faith is or where your life is. You'll remember, I want to do a little bit of review. When we get to this chapter, we'll let the verses speak for themselves. I'll offer very little comment, and that part will go quick. But you remember in chapter 11, Zophar condemned Job harshly. It was hard on him. You wouldn't want him to be your friend. He had no mercy. Sometimes people think that's, think that's cute, and it is, until Zophar is talking to you and not having any compassion on you and yours. Zophar condemned Job for what he had spoken. He said, in essence, in chapter 11, Job, you're just wrong. What you've said, it's recorded in the third chapter, what you said in response to Eliphaz and what you said in response to Bildad, you're wrong, Job. He condemned his speech Secondly, he condemned Job as a great sinner. We followed this line of thought since chapter 4. Evidently, Job, you're suffering greatly, so that lets me know you've sinned greatly. Now, that's heretical. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's comments of a heretic, somebody that would base what they believe upon a work's salvation and earning merit before God. Our merit, child of God, and I'm not encouraging sin in your life nor in mine, but our merit is found in Jesus Christ and his sin atonement upon the cross of Calvary. And the guarantee of that merit and us being in Christ Jesus is found in his resurrection. The greatest proof we have that Jesus Christ is who this Bible says he is and who he claimed to be is the fact that he rose from the grave after three days and three nights in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Our merit's not found in what we can accomplish. Everything we've got, the best we've got, the old prophet said, is as filthy rags in the sight of God. You remember, you remember after Zophar spoke so critically to Job in just a handful of verses, he then turns his comment toward his comments toward the character of God. And just as sure as he got things wrong regarding Job, I'm telling you, he says some very rich uh, things regarding the character of God. He said in that chapter, God is God and you cannot know the end of him, Job. He said that to him. And I say to us and to myself, neither can we know the end of God. 
The Bible is not all there is to know about God. It's just all he wants us to know about him. Uh, the Bible is not all God knows. It's just all God wants us to know. And the Bible's not just fitted for you to take it and twist it, say what you want to say. The Bible says of the scriptures, they are of no private interpretation. In other words, you can't pull a verse over here and a verse over here and pull a little thought out of the air and uh, go establish some uh, religion somewhere. You cannot do that. The scriptures are of no private interpretation. According to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, we are to compare scripture with scripture. In other words, lay it down alongside If there is an apparent contradiction, it will not be in Scripture. It will be with the one that's holding a copy of the Scripture. I promise you, God does not contradict himself. I will contradict myself. You will too. God never has, and God never will. He's God, right? He's perfect. He said, Zophar uh, Zophar spoke of, of God's great ability. He said, he's God. He said, Job, he's God. Nobody can stop him. If he sets out to do something, he doesn't need a committee to vote it in. He just does it, he thinks it, he speaks it, however he wills it, it will be done. Such is the creation of it all. He said in uh, chapter number 11, he said, nothing escapes God. Then he closed that chapter by calling on Job to repent. He's convinced, as the other two are, that Job has sin in his life. That brought us to chapter number 12. This is where we are right now in the book of Job. That brought us to chapters 12, 13, and 14. Job begins responding to Zophar, and his comments are directed at all three of them, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. But in chapter number 12, there was was Job's sarcasm. He stood his ground, as he does throughout the book of Job, in these rebuttals. Uh, He spoke to his friends with sarcasm. In chapter number uh, 12 and verse number 2, you'll remember this and even appreciate this. He said, no doubt, but you are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. In other words, nobody knew what they knew in their own minds, and he calls their, their hand to the task. He declared his understanding of what they had spoken. He says, I know what you're telling me, fellas. I know what you've said. I know that just as sure as you know that. Uh, I have put that into my mind. I've tried to weigh it wisely. I know what you're accusing me of. If I were guilty, I would tell you. In chapter number 12 as well, uh, Job, he, he asserts several things. He presents the contempt, contempt his friends had for him. And then there were the great uh, considerations Job asserted. You'll remember their, their accusation is that uh, great suffering is a result of great sinning. But you'll remember he started in that chapter and he said, Now, fellas, look around you. We all have neighbors that sin greatly. They're not suffering. It won't play out. Your blanket statement won't play out. Your religious mentality doesn't play out. It won't work out. As a matter of fact, he pointed, he, he pointed to the birds and the beast and of the field. He pointed to the ocean and the fish. Uh, it's very unfair. Job would argue that the greater in the animal kingdom would just basically maul over the lesser. He says that's unfair. Life is unfair. At best, and then there was Job's theology speaks to God's supremacy. Job's emphasis to God's supremacy in chapter number uh, 12. He says over and again in verse 13 to the end of the chapter, his emphasis is on God as he uses the personal pronouns he and his and him continually and time and again. The excellence of God's supremacy. And then there were some of the examples he gave. So in chapter number 12, we came to these conclusions 
Misfortune comes to the good and the bad alike. When the wheels run off somebody's car, that don't necessarily mean they've been over at the gambling hall or they're peddling drugs or they're doing something that you just don't know what they're doing. It doesn't mean that they've got sin in their life, some type of gross sin. We also concluded after chapter number 12 that human reasoning, the human mindset, that trying to put God in a box, as these three friends have done, it won't pan out. It won't work. As a matter of fact, the, the big debate today is over Calvinism and uh, between the Calvin, uh, Calvin, Calvinism and, and the Armenians, right? And God breaks out of both boxes. Both of them are man-made systems of thought. And somewhere, God's going to break out of both systems of thought. You mark that down. The only thing either camp's got going for them is that they offer Jesus Christ as the only hope for the sinner. That's why God continues to honor the preaching of Scripture, right? Chapter number 13, Job's response to Zophar part 2. He addressed his friends. This is what he told them in a hurry. He addresses his friends and their failure to help him, their failure to be honest. He said, but you are forgers of lies. Their failure to minister healing in his life. He said, you're all physicians of no value. You think you're counselors, but you offer me no help. Their failure to hold their speech, their failure to listen, their minds were made up. Even when we come to Scripture, we should come with an attitude of suspense. No preconceived notions. Let the Word of God speak to us in that attitude of suspense. And when you, when you come to sit down with a friend, let him, get it, let him at least say it if he wills to do so. The failure, their failure in speaking to him, their failure in approach, their failure to offer him any hope at all. And then Job desired an audience with God, and that's where he moved uh, in chapter number 12. He felt like he, he had been sentenced in the court of God. You'll remember that. He felt he was bound now to his plight. Life would never get any better. And then Job's troubles are consuming him. The last verse of that chapter, then we're moving into chapter 14. And he is a rotten thing, consumeth as a garment that is moth-eaten. He feels his life is eat up to his plight. He's rotting, he's decaying away. His trials are eating him up. Crushing him, squeezing the life out of him. His flesh is drying up to nothing. He's withering away. His children are all gone. They're in eternity now. His belongings, they're all gone. Um, he had to pull his wife back to a good place. You remember that in chapter 2? Where's God? He's heard from everybody in his life, but he hadn't heard God say one thing. It's eating him alive. It's killing him. Now, I'll be brief here in chapter number 14. We'll let these verses speak for themselves and maybe even borrow from a New Testament uh, text or two. But uh, you'll notice in verses 1 through 6, which is your first that natural break or division in these verses, Job is, Job is going to say life is brief at best and full of troubles. Look at verses 1 through 6. Man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. And dost and, and thou 
Open thine eyes upon such an one and bringest me into judgment with thee. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Let's pause here to say we know. Job, we have a Bible tonight. You didn't have a Bible. We know who can bring. Uh, when he asked, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? God can do that. The Lord Jesus Christ can do that. The Holy Spirit can do that. God can bring a clean thing out of an unclean. God can drive man up and sober him. God can make a man stay at home with his wife and his children. God can take a woman off a bar stool and put her in Sunday school class. God can. He says, not one, but we know yeah, God can. Verses 5 and 6, seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Turn from him that he may rest till he shall accomplish as in hireling his day. Now, it's interesting in verse number 5 that Job knew enough to know that man's days are marked by God. I don't know what day I'll leave this walk of life, but there is a day out there marked off that I'm leaving this walk of life. It will not be a surprise to God. He's not learning anything. He knows the end from the beginning. And as we've all stated, it doesn't matter who the specialist might be trying to attend to me from an ER after the ambulance has brought me in. When it's my time to go, God knows when that is, and I will go. My dear friend laying over there in the Tupelo Hospital said, he said on Monday, he said, uh, he couldn't catch his breath, couldn't catch his breath. And this is what he said. He said, Brother Kevin, he said, uh, and, and he doesn't know what his wife mouthed to me with tears running down her face as I was talking to him on one side of the bed. She's over in the corner in the chair. But he looked at me and he said, whatever the will of the Lord is, we'll deal with it. Matter of fact, he told his church on Sunday before they brought him down, he said, y'all just need to get you another preacher and go on. Don't let this hold you up. He knows God has a plan for his life. You know what we like to talk about? We like to talk about the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God and this will of God. Bottom line, you either in God's will or you ain't. Either you're walking in step with him or you're not. Either I'm in the will of God tonight or I'm not. It's that simple concerning the will of God. There are certain things that is God's will for all of us as his people. And then there's particular things for my life that puts me in or out of the will of God, right? Job acknowledges our days are marked by God. We don't like to think about that, do we? We don't like to think about that. Listen to verse 5. Listen to what, this is what the Holy Spirit moved on Job's heart in these days. Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Just as sure as the ocean can, can go no further than the bounds of the shoreline. So my life will go no farther than the bounds of God's will. Listen now, Solomon would write it in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, in the first phrase of verse 2. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born 
and a time to die. A time to be born is one book in, a time to die is the last book in. And there my life is. All it amounts to is a little, uh, if you don't have one, get you one or two or three of them. The little tract that was put into print after Herschel Bragg died. You get up at every funeral and he'd preach on the dash. That's all we get for our life. Unless we make some mark in history and somebody writes. I just picked up a book, Brother Greg Herndon um, recommended to me the last time I preached a meeting for him. The Bulletproof Washington. It's a remarkable account of when he was a young man as a lieutenant. And uh, they were in battle with a group of Indians. And the chief kept pointing to him, the lieutenant that kept running supplies back and forth and checking on. And they they kept shooting horses out from under him and and what never could could stop him. Um, And I was going to say something good and I just lost my train of thought. Maybe it'll come back to me in a minute. But a time to be born and a time to die. When it's our time to go, we're going. We're going. Maybe my thought will come back in a moment. I apologize. In, in verse number 6, Job asks for mercy and a bit of reprieve. He knows he's frail. He knows his days are few. Verse number 6, turn from him that he may rest till he accomplish as in hireling his day. What is... What is What his plea is here is the hireling works for his master all day long, but at the end of the day, he does get to go home and rest. And he's asking for a bit of rest before the time of his departure from this walk of life. Again, he's suffering greatly. In verse number 1, in verse number 1, now think about what Job says here in verse number 1. What he says, what Job said, when Job said it, Where Job's at when he said it is important to keep in mind. Watch verse 1. Man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. What Job said, when Job said it, where he is seated when he says it, has great bearing on what we find here. Now, Go with me to, hold your place here and go with me to chapter number 42. I want you to notice the final verdict of the book of Job. We love this part, don't we? We love to get to chapter number 42. In chapter number 42, um, look here at what he says in verse number 10 of chapter 42. Read down to the end of the chapter. Now, remember, Job said this in chapter 14, verse 1, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's not the way the wording goes in chapter 42. Chapter 42, verse number 10, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Do you pray for those that have wronged you? It set you free. Do you? Do you pray for those that have said something alt, or said alt against you? Maybe... They've cheated you somehow, stabbed you in the back. Do you pray for them? The Bible teaches us a great lesson here about that. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. 
Verse 12 says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of his first, Jemima, and the name of the second, Keziah, and the name of the third, Karen Hepuk. And in all the land there were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this, Job lived in 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. We, we end on the mountaintop of, in the book of Job. So consider what he said man, in chapter 14. Man that is born of a woman is of a few days and full of troubles. He's in the midst of suffering when he pins this down, when he says this. Our attitude in the midst of trying times has great bearing on us and those around us. I was reminded when, uh, when the doctor said on Monday, told, uh, told, uh, told Harry that the, the cancer he has is incurable. Uh, it's in all of his bones in his upper body. It's, it's in all of his bones. It's not in his brain, which that's common, I think, for lung cancer uh, patients. But it's not. It's, it is in his skull. Um, and he's been in a great deal of pain. At least he's never experienced pain like he's been in. So, um, so the doctor had said, if it, were, if it were my brother or my father being in the stage cancer you are, I would advise them to take it because when this gets in your system, it will help alleviate your pain and some of the other sim- symptoms that you have. And then he went on and explained some other things uh, about his cancer. But I was reminded whenever I went into the Jones Clinics called the Cancer Center, the Baptist Cancer Center now in New Albany. But uh, Dr. Jones, I, he asked me several things. I had my surgery, and then I went, taking my scans to him. And uh, he, said, uh, he said, well, let me tell you what we see. Let me tell you what happened in surgery. Let me tell you where we are right now, what the plan would be going forward. You're a young man, and we want to we treat, um, uh, treat you with a strong dosage and... Uh, and, um, but said the prognosis is good and, and those sorts of things. Asked if I had any questions. I did. He answered my questions. And then he turned around. He said, your attitude's going to go a long ways. Your attitude in fighting this is going to go a long ways. And I'm thinking about a couple of patients that gave up. One was a lady who had no one to bring her except either a deputy or a social worker for her treatments. She had no hope. We who were taking treatments with her would speak to her and be kind to her, offer to help her. But it was about like looking at the Lakota Sioux people that some of you have looked into their faces who have no hope. She had no hope. She gave up early. She didn't last long. Another was a man who was doing well, but uh, came in one day and he couldn't get his treatments because of where his platelets were and etc. And came in a second time, and he was downtrodden from that time on. And it wasn't long. Uh, He wasn't taking treatments with us anymore. He was gone. When you face trial, your attitude's going to go a long ways. You know that? Do you know that? David, when facing trial, um, he encouraged himself in the Lord. When men had vowed that they would not eat again until the death of Paul was carried out, Paul stood before King Agrippa and his wife Bernice, and he said, I think myself happy 
O king, your attitude in trials and mine will affect not only us, but those in our lives. There's seasons of life for all of us, right? Job's between 60 and 70 years of age. When this thing's over with, he's going to live another 140 years. Does make a difference how he approaches this. We believe that the trials of Job last about 12 months of time. So the question arises, as we posed it whenever we introduced the book of Job so long ago, did Job have a bad year? Did he have a bad life? What we deduce from chapter number 42 is he had a bad year. Probably had some bad seasons along the way, but he had a bad year. If you see life as a problem, you've got problems. If a man or a woman thinks they are sick when they are not, they are. You listen to what I'm saying? Are you listening to me? As a man thinketh in his heart, Solomon would write, so is he. Your attitude and what you face in life will go a long way. Life's a wonderful thing, but it is not a problem. Now, some people do have a hard life. You know that and I know that, right? Job didn't have a hard life. He had a hard year. No doubt he would have had hard seasons in life. Life is brief at best, Job says in verses 1 to 6, and full of troubles. Wouldn't you like to interview him after chapter 42? Wouldn't you like to interview him 135 years later when he's got grandchildren and great-grandchildren running around the house? Job, tell me about, and he'd probably say, he'd probably abbreviate it. God's blessed him again. Verses 7 to 12, what happens to a man when he dies? Verses 7 to 12, let's read the verses in a hurry, I'll only make a statement or two, and only a statement or two out of the last section as well, and we'll close. Verses 7 to 12, what happens to a man when he dies? Remember now, Job is the oldest book of the Bible. He's probably the age of Abraham, at least. He does not have Genesis to Revelation like you have and I have tonight. And he wants to know when a man dies, what happens to him? Watch verses 7 to 12. For there's hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again. That's right, isn't it? Cut a tree down. You'll see little sprouts come back and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth and the stock thereof die in the ground, he said, let it get a little shower rain. Is that what he says in the next verse? Yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth uh, bows like a plant. But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost. And where is he? He says, I seem to be near death myself What happens to me when I die? Verses 11 and 12. As the waters fell from the sea, and the flood decayeth and drieth up, so man lieth down and riseth not, till the heavens be no more. They shall not awake, nor be raised out of their sleep. The key to it all is verse number 10. It sums up all these verses. But man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? Jesus Christ answered his question in Luke 16, 19 to 31. We saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, and the rich man who he had laid outside his gate was in hell. 
There is a heaven, there is a hell. That's what happens to a man when he dies. If you know Jesus Christ and the free pardon of sin, the heaven's your home. You shall be in the presence of the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, uh, the angels that fail not, and all the redeemed through eternity. But if you reject Christ, hell is your home. And what's going to make hell hell is the fact there's no God there. There's no one to love you there. There's no one, it's outer darkness there, according to the Word of God. You'll have to remember, isn't that, what, uh, isn't that what Abraham said to the rich man when he died? But Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Not tormented because he's a rich man, tormented because he rejected God's pardoning for sin, which is found in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. What happens to a man? Well, he either goes to hell or he goes to heaven. Jesus Christ is the difference between the two. Lastly and briefly, verses 13 to 22, Job seems to cry, Oh, that man could rise again from the grave. Look at verses 13 to 22. Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, that thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be passed, that thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Thou shalt call, and I will answer thee. Thou wilt have a desire to the work of thine hands. For now thou numberest my steps, dost thou not watch over my sin? My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and thou sowest up mine iniquity. And surely the mountain falling cometh to naught, and the rock is removed out of his place. The, water, the waters wear the stones, Thou washest, washest away the things which grow out of the dust of the earth, and thou destroyest the hope of man. Thou prevailest forever against him, and he passeth. Thou changest his countenance and sendest him away. His sons come to honor, and he knoweth it not. Uh, and they are brought low, but he perceiveth it not of them. He's in the grave after all. See, that's Job's mentality. But his flesh upon him shall have pain, and his soul within him shall mourn. Job's knowledge of the resurrection, Job's knowledge of life after death is very limited, very limited at best. Job wishes that even after he dies that perhaps God would think upon him and maybe there'll be a day when he would stand again. Good news. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 20, deals with Christ's resurrection. And because of that, Everyone who believes in him um, will be resurrected. This mortal shall put on immortality. This corruption shall put on incorruption. We shall go be with the Lord. Be a few of these bodies laying out here awaiting the resurrection of the redeemed. And that body that caught COVID and had dementia afflicting it will one day God will reunite his soul, his spirit, and his body, and it's coming again. I've heard preachers preach on the rapture that all these graveyards will look like new plowed fields, but not necessarily so. Not necessarily so. He can call them out of, out of the ground without tearing the ground up. When he himself came back from the dead, the redeemed, 
Their bodies got up and walked around there. Nobody ever wrote about the ground being torn up. But did write about how there were unusual happenings around Jerusalem. We'd say it right here in the south. Grandmama got up and paid everybody this visit after she'd been in, in paradise for 15, 20 years. Maybe she knocked on the door and clapped her hands and said, He's alive and I'm going to be with him now. Is there life again for the body? 1 Corinthians 15, read it. It says a lot about the resurrection body. In conclusion, be thankful for your Bible tonight. Job didn't have a Bible. Think about that. Job did not have a Bible. Will, will man live beyond this life? Somebody answer that. Yes. Where are those who died in this life? Where are they? One of two places. Somebody mention those places. Either in heaven or in hell. And then lastly, will a man rise again from the grave? Yes. Thank God, yes. I say glory to God. This, uh, these old bodies get wore out, um, they get frail. They get frail. I got to visit with uh, Loisy's, what we called her. Most called her Aunt Loisy, Mike Robbins' sister. Harry, I've, I've thought on this the last few weeks much. Uh, several of us went into the room and talked with her. Then I prayed with her, and I thought everybody come out. Everybody did except Harry and Loisy was laying in the bed. Then she got up and sat on the side of the bed. Of course, all the swords have got a nickname. Isn't that right, Mike? When my mama was courting Harry, she called and Papa Swords answered the phone and she said, he said, hello. She said, hello, can I talk to Harry? She said, he put his hand over the phone and said, mama, have we got a Harry around here? <laughs> Had 17 kids. They were raised to work about 250 acres of ground with mules. We used to have mules, gated mules that we rode. We loved them. Uh, Wimp told me one time, he said, every time I pass by your place and see them mules, I get about half mad. But I couldn't help but listen, sitting in there in the living room, Jim, to Harry and Loisy. This is what she said. She said, she said, ham bone, that's what they all call him. Said, ham bone, said, ain't nothing I can do about it. But said, I'm all right. I'm prepared. I'm ready to go. And she said, the Lord knows all about it. You talking about dying grace, son. God put it all over that gal. I was praying with Harry. We took him some lunch from our fellowship meal Sunday. Amanda and I, and I was praying with him. He just gets to praying while I'm praying. He thanked God for a good life again. He does it every time I pray with him. He thanked God for his family, and this will encourage your hearts. He said, Lord, I want to thank you for my church family. I love them. There's a time you couldn't hem him up and run him in a church. And God got a hold to him and changed him. And he loves all of you. Thank you for praying for him. Let's stand with this missing prayer. It's good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. Ray Owen, would you dismiss us in prayer, please, sir?